0: Today's guest says Michelle Obama is running for president in 2024. Find out more on this special edition of the Doc Washburn Show. Welcome to the Voice of the Resistance with Doc Washburn. We are the show that pushes back against the uniparty in the deep state and lets you in on the news that traditional talk radio is all too often afraid to talk about. This is episode 379 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show for Thursday, May 4th, 2023. This is a really different kind of talk show. We're unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. If you'd like to support what we do, go to our website, docwashmer.com, click on the button that says Become a Patron. Also, please remember to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. And make sure you check out our new conservative sports podcast, Red Pill Sports with my friend Donnie Copeland, which drops Tuesday evenings at 11 p.m. Central. Joel Gilbert is author of the new book, Michelle Obama 2024, Her Real Life Story, and Plan for Power, and director of the documentary, Michelle Obama 2024. He's a political commentator and foreign policy analyst based in Los Angeles. His contention is that Michelle Obama will run for president in 2024 and base her candidacy on a life story that's more racially diverse and very nearly as fictitious as that of her husband, Barack Brother Gilbert, we're delighted to have you on the Doc Washburn Show today. How are you?
1: Okay, thank you. Great to be here.
0: Thank you very much. Now, before we talk about the possibility of Michelle Obama running for president next year, I want to ask you first about the documentary you produced in 2012, Dreams for My Real Father. For all my listeners who may not be familiar with that yet, who was Frank Marshall Davis?
1: Okay, well, Frank Marshall Davis was a... uh a Chicago-based communist, one of the original members of the American Communist Party in the 1930s. And he moved to Chicago on orders of Comintern. Communist International ordered him to go to Hawaii to try to start a dock workers strike. The idea was to expel the U.S. naval forces from Hawaii. This was before Hawaii was a state. And that would assist with Soviet expansion in Asia. So... Uh, Frank Marshall Davis moved to Hawaii, he organized a dock worker strike for six months that failed, and he stayed in Hawaii, and he wrote for a communist newspaper called uh, The Honolulu Record for years. And my film shows that, number one, Barack uh, spent a lot of time being raised by Frank Marshall Davis, and uh, the resemblance is uncanny. I believe that Davis actually was his biological father who radicalized him in this far-left politics that he has today.
0: You know, Barack Obama had a pretty funky-looking birth certificate, but the idea that a 19-year-old woman would want to fly for three days back before there was regular international jet travel just so she could give birth in a hospital in a third-world country like Kenya never made any sense to me. Uh, But like you say, uh, Barack looks nothing like Barack Sr. He looks a lot like Frank Marshall Davis. And I think you did a valuable public service coming out with dreams for my real father, to explain, hey, look guys, there's a different reason the birth certificate looks so goofy.
1: That's right. It was Obama was not born, uh, you know, in Kenya or anything like that. The the secret that he maintained was that uh, Frank Marshall Davis, I believe was the biological father, that's not even as important as the fact that Frank Marshall Davis admittedly by Obama raised Obama and Frank Marshall Davis was a Soviet agent and serious communist. And that's why, you know, Barack when he ran for president, he actually ran as kind of a traditional centrist candidate, but five days before the election, he said, we're five days away from fundamentally transforming the United States of America. No one knew what he was talking about, but as soon as he got elected, he threw the voters under the bus and pursued this radical agenda that no one voted for.
0: Absolutely, and I would recommend your documentary, Dreams from My Real Father. Uh, Folks, if you want to find out all about that, the website is Obama's Real Father. Okay, so moving on to Michelle and 2024, why do you think Michelle Obama is running for president next year?
1: Well, I've been following the Obamas for years, and I noticed, you know, four or five years ago that Michelle seemed to be following the exact same formula that Barack had to become president. Uh, Barack had a voter registration organization in Chicago called Project Vote before he ran for office. Michelle started a voter registration organization called When We All Vote, very well-financed, $26 million effort, and she's been running around the country registering people for years now. Also, Barack based his candidacy on his personal story. His uh, book, autobiography called Dreams for My Father. Michelle went and wrote two autobiographies, one called Becoming and her latest one, The Light We Carry, and both of them are on Netflix with, with film versions as well. And then lastly, you know, Barack was the keynote speaker for John Kerry at the Democrat convention in 2004. The keynote speaker slot is the one they give to the person they think will be the nominee at the next convention that introduces the candidate. Sure enough, Michelle was the keynote speaker for Joe Biden. She introduced him at the, at the 2020 convention. So I just see her following the same formula, keeping a very high profile with these, uh, you know, uh, voting rights group with her books. Uh, on Netflix, uh, just this week, she was in Barcelona singing "Backgrounds" with Bruce Springsteen. She's speaking at a Wall Street Journal uh, media event this week, and I think she's just positioned herself perfectly so that when uh, Biden drops out, which he will, uh, the party will turn to her. The party has already set it up for her. They made South Carolina the first primary, so she doesn't have to campaign in a hundred counties in Iowa. And Michelle claims South Carolina is kind of an adopted home state because her grandparents. Uh, moved to Chicago from South Carolina, and she used to go there for family reunions when she was growing up. Also, South Carolina has about 50% uh, Democrat primary voters are African American. So that makes it an easy uh, win for Michelle Obama to start the primary season, and she can wrap it up, and then she can go be anointed at the Chicago Democrat convention uh, that they chose, uh, her hometown, to anoint her. So I think it's all been set up.
0: Yeah, you know, it's interesting because when you started talking about Barack, uh, doing the big address for John Kerry in 04 and then Michelle doing the big address for Biden in 2020, I was thinking, well, the big difference there is Kerry didn't get elected and, and, and Biden, uh, did. But, you know, polls do keep telling us majority Democrats do not want Biden, uh, to run again. I'm sure. If the same people were polled, they would be more than fine with Michelle. Um, why do you think that Biden is definitely going to drop out?
1: Well, first of all, Biden has no support from Democrats. They don't want him. Uh, he's uh, led a horrible record for two years of inflation and conflict internally and uh, in foreign policy. Uh, he represents the old guard of old white man that the Democrats have pretty much discarded. They got rid of Andrew Cuomo. Democrat Party has turned toward uh, ethnic minorities, women, transgenders. That's their their preferred candidates. And Michelle uh, checks the boxes of uh, you know female and uh, African American. And uh, Biden doesn't. He's ba- basically uh, a lame duck. You know he don't wants to avoid being a lame duck. That's why he threw up a video saying he's going to run. But nothing happens until the fall when they need to candidates need to start gathering signatures for the primaries. So I think that's when we'll see Biden officially drop out.
0: Um, probably over Dr. Jill Biden's uh, vigorous protests, I would think, because, man, uh, you know, talk about elder abuse. She wants him to ride this whole thing out, but uh, I, I guess I guess, everything's going to override what she wants.
1: Yeah, Jill Biden definitely loves the lifestyle. She got into it. You know, she started dating Joe when she was married uh you know, years ago, because she loved the political lifestyle, and uh, she pushed him to run for president, uh, and she definitely wants to maintain that lifestyle. That's uh, something that she loves. But uh, the Democrat Party doesn't want Joe Biden, and uh, you saw Susan Rice just resigned. And uh, I have no doubt that uh, with all these investigations and everything else, plus his health issues, uh, he'll he'll make some sort of excuse why he's going to drop out at some point.
0: Okay, now, a lot of my listeners probably don't know much about Michelle Obama's past. Maybe you could kind of enlighten them about her job at the University of Chicago Medical Center.
1: Okay, yeah, well, Michelle's been pretty much uh, pushing an image for many years of someone who grew up in Chicago, on the south side of Chicago, who suffered from racial discrimination and racial slights and overcame obstacles from people trying to hold her back and such. Uh, my investigation, which I show in my book, Michelle Obama 2024, and also the film version, her, her official story is completely false. Michelle grew up in a privileged family. Her father was a precinct captain for the Democrat Party machine in Chicago. Michelle was in an exclusive dance class for 10 years. She was performing at the Chicago Theater, the uh, International Hilton Hotel. Michelle went to Paris with her French club when she was in high school. She always uh, ran away from studying with uh, the black community as a kid. When she had a chance to go to a school that was all black, she would always go an hour away to study with white kids, so much so that uh, she would get beat up by black kids. They would accuse her of talking white and acting white. She even writes in one of her books about getting in a fistfight with a girl named Dee Dee who called her an Oreo, meaning you're black on the outside, but you're really white on the inside, and that's a big insult in the black community, so... I've got her on tape. Michelle even says, i got her on the movie, where she says she lived in fear of going out of her house. She was afraid of black people. And then in her professional career, she got jobs exploiting the black community. She worked for the mayor of Chicago. She was assistant planning commissioner with Valerie Jarrett. And her job was to knock down the projects. They had about 20,000 blacks living in Cabrini Green was a project near downtown, and the rich... Democrat donor developers wanted the land to build uh, housing, expensive housing. So Michelle helped to knock down the projects and made 20,000 blacks homeless, and she told them it would be good for them. It will be good for you if we knock down your homes. And then having proven how callous she was, the University of Chicago Medical Center hired Michelle because they needed uh, a front person to help get rid of the blacks that were using the emergency room without insurance. They were losing money. So Michelle was hired, and she started something called the Southside Health Collaborative, and if you were black and you didn't have insurance and showed up at the emergency room, Michelle would ship you out in these vans to these crappy clinics where you wouldn't have access to good health care. So Michelle always worked for white liberal elites, and they paid her a ton of money to deal with their problems they were having with black people. They couldn't hire a white person to say, we're taking away your health care. It's going to be good for you. That's what Michelle did as a black person she she took on that role to exploit the black community now to add insult to injury as a politician michelle pretends to be one of these ordinary black folks she spent her life taking advantage of and running away from by making up these phony stories of having suffered discrimination wow
0: now if michelle does become the democrat nominee for president next year do you think anybody in the Republican Party is going to have the guts to do commercials exposing the truth about her that is, you know, plainly obvious and accessible in, in what you've put together?
1: Well, I think the Republicans, uh, you know, need to start by, if I was Donald Trump, I would publicly say, Michelle, are you going to apologize for what you did to the black community in Chicago? Are you going to tell us how much money you took from white liberal elites to exploit the black community, that would certainly start the conversation because uh, Michelle has admitted a lot of this stuff in her autobiography, but she doesn't talk about it. She pretends to be, uh, you know, someone that suffered discrimination, which is the opposite of what really happened. It was Michelle who was uh, exploiting the black community and making a ton of money doing it.
0: Yeah, so I I think that you have kind of laid out a reasonable scenario for joe biden dropping out but uh wouldn't they have to get kamala harris out of the way too i mean what what do you think the plan is here
1: yeah no kamala harris has no popularity and no no audience she couldn't even make it to the first round of uh democrat primaries before she had to drop out michelle has been you know the most popular person in the country if not the world for 15 years she has had all positive publicity hundreds of magazine covers hundreds of talk shows She's far and away the most popular, most beloved Democrat. So anyone could challenge her, Kamala Harris or anyone. They really wouldn't stand a chance, and I doubt they would even try.
0: So conventional wisdom says Joe and Jill Biden definitely didn't like Kamala Harris after she attacked Joe during the primary debates. Uh, But the thinking is that Barack Obama was the force pushing Joe to select Kamala as his running mate and conventional wisdom also seems to think there's, there's no way, you know, Joe's going to be able to make it through another four year term. Everybody's talking about Kamala destined to be the next president. Do you have any idea why Obama pushed for her to be Biden's running mate? Was it because she was so unpopular and to just kind of grease the skids, get ready for Michelle? Uh,
1: I think it really was James Clyburn, a congressman out of South Carolina that uh, kind of engineered that it was, just a little bit post-George Floyd, the whole Black Lives Matter thing, I, and the Democrat Party was uh, definitely turning away from whites, and especially white men, so they wanted to represent. And that, Kamala Harris is pretty much the only person they had that could maybe uh, fit that, that bill. So I think that's what ended her up in the you know vice president uh, slot. Uh, very interestingly, in the Democrat Party convention that was virtual, all of these speakers recorded their remarks the same day, or did it live. Michelle Obama was the only person who recorded her uh, introduction of Joe Biden a full week in advance, and that was before Kamala Harris was named as the uh, selection for vice president. So Michelle, in her remarks introducing Joe Biden, you can go back and look at them online, she doesn't say anything like, we have the first African-American woman on the ticket, or "I, you know, Kamala Harris is so great because she hadn't been named yet. So I'm pretty sure that Michelle knew it was coming, And that's why she recorded her marks a a week in advance so she wouldn't have to say anything nice about Kamala.
0: Wow, that's interesting insight there. You know, James Clyburn, for for my listeners, um, is the African American Democrat U.S. Representative from a heavily black Democrat district in South Carolina. He's been in Congress now, I think, about 30 years. He really kind of saved Biden's uh, campaign because you don't finish outside the top four or five in Iowa and and New Hampshire back-to-back and then have any realistic chance of even staying in the race. So when Clyburn implored voters in South Carolina, look, you got to take one for the team here and vote for Biden, if not for that, then Biden's not the nominee, right?
1: Yeah, look, uh, Biden was a joke when he was running those debates. He couldn't put two words together. People were laughing at him. People were saying, why is this guy running? Uh, He should be in an old folks home. He badly lost the first couple of primaries, no base of support whatsoever. And then uh, Clyburn and some others kind of arranged it so that uh, he could win that one primary in South Carolina. And then within a week or two, all the other candidates dropped out amazingly. So to me, it looks like pretty much the fix was in for Biden from the get-go, that uh, the whole reason he was running why was this guy even running for office? It didn't make any sense in the first place. But the fact that, you know, he wins one primary and everybody dropped out also made no sense. So the Democrats are seem to be all about fixing the process, fixing the process. And so they did it for Biden, I think. And I think by moving the Democrat primary out of Iowa to South Carolina, Michelle Obama's adopted home state and putting the uh, Democrat convention in Chicago of all places yeah. shows how they've, they've fixed it for Michelle.
0: Yeah, I I don't doubt that because one of the things about Iowa and New Hampshire is there's a lot of retail politics. You you have to do uh, meetings in in like uh, church fellowship halls in small towns, and and you have to shake hands and and meet people face to face, and and Biden just was not making it. I guess South Carolina a little bit more population. You got. Uh, uh four big television markets there four or five when you count the ones coming across the state lines from North Carolina and Georgia and and Clyburn really helped that happen but no you're right because pretty soon after that and and I think Elizabeth Warren stayed in long enough to keep Bernie from having a chance but it it really did look like the the fix was in now you've mentioned several times what is unprecedented which is as far back as primaries even made a difference, going back to 72 with, with, uh, um, with McGovern and then 76 with, uh, with Jimmy Carter, the Iowa caucus has always been first. The New Hampshire primary has always been second. And then you get to the other ones. But as you, as you said, Um, this year the DNC has kicked Iowa to the curb. There's no telling when that's going to be. The plan is South Carolina, first primary, February 3rd. Then Nevada and New Hampshire, both on February 6th. Georgia, February 13th. Michigan, February 27th. So if Michelle's going to run, is this going to be kind of different that she doesn't even have to show up and campaign in these early states?
1: Pretty much. I mean, look – if uh, Biden, I think, will drop out in uh, you know September, October, literally there's not enough time for any candidate to put together a campaign or even build a website, start to build national recognition, start to raise money. Michelle will be the only candidate that has the name recognition that she can raise $100 million in two weeks. She can get all the signatures she needs for those primaries in two weeks because of her name recognition. So there just won't be a choice. Uh, no one else can be able to do it. So you'll have Michelle and maybe RFK Jr. will still be hanging around. But he's pretty much a libertarian now. Despite the Kennedy name, he talks like a libertarian. And, uh, you know, he represents, you know, the the old Democrat Party of, you know, old white guys. And Michelle, I'm sure, will blow him away.
0: Well, not only that, but with RFK Jr., you're looking at a guy that if people are aware of him at all, it is because of his concerns about the COVID vaccines and I don't think that's going to poll very well with Democrat voters, whether you're talking about the new young progressives or the old line Democrats. He he seems to be somebody who's out of place and would have more support among the Republican electorate.
1: Sure, I mean RFK Junior. You, if you want to watch him on TV, he's on Fox News. He's talking, sounding like a libertarian, sounding like uh, you know he's against the war in Ukraine. He's, you know he's uh, anti-vax. He's. Uh, into all these old school issues that uh, progressive Democrats really aren't interested in.
0: We're speaking with Joel Gilbert, author of the new book, Michelle Obama 2024, her real life story and plan for power, and director of the documentary, Michelle Obama 2024. So, Mr. Gilbert, you talk to a lot of folks in politics, some on the record, some off the record. Do you think that people In Donald Trump's team, in Ron DeSantis' team, do you think that these people are aware of this possibility that this juggernaut, Michelle Obama, might be getting ready to take Biden's place?
1: Uh, It doesn't appear that they really have it on their radar yet. A little bit, it's starting to have an effect. I've had my film and my book out since last uh, July. Uh, Monica Crowley talked about it at CPAC actually over a year ago. Uh, Newt Gingrich just last week said the the Republicans better start paying attention to Michelle Obama. So it's starting to pick up some steam that why is Michelle not acting like, uh, you know, Laura Bush or uh, any other retired first lady? Why is she doing so much to keep such a high profile? And I think I have the answer is that uh, they've been setting her up to run for office, and I don't think the Republicans have really uh, taken this into account yet.
2: Well,
0: I got to confess, I really had not taken it into account because what I was thinking was Michelle can wake up in Martha's Vineyard and say, you know, um, I would really like to be uh, in Hawaii for dinner uh, with some mimosas and some good old, you know, Hawaiian barbecue pig and she can just get on a flight and and go. And why would she want to give up that lifestyle? But obviously, once you have that, once you're bitten by that political bug, and as you're saying, she grew up in it, uh, apparently that is uh, more important than living a life of ease for the rest of your days.
1: Yeah, look, Michelle is a political animal. She's been political her whole life. She, Her father was a politician. She married a politician. She, uh, You might remember from 2008 she was speaking to these uh huge audiences of thousands of people running around the country talking as though she was the co-candidate with Barack. She would say, Barack and I in our campaign and here's what we're going to do when we get to the White House. And she said a lot of nasty things about the United States at the same time. Uh, She liked to talk about fear a lot. And I go in detail in my film and my book how I believe Michelle was radicalized by 1960s uh, weather underground domestic terrorist Bernadine Dorn. Michelle was uh, best friends with her when she worked at the law firm of Sidley and Austin with her in Chicago for a couple of years. Barack and Michelle would go to their house of Bernadine Dorn and Bill Ayers for dinner once a week in the 90s. So they were very close to this couple of domestic terrorists. And uh, Bernadine Dorn had this thing that she called the politics of fear that she used to talk about in the 60s, how America is made up of tribes and we're all afraid of each other and all the policies come from this fear well, Michelle Obama in 2008 gave the exact same speech as every night about fear and how Americans are afraid of each other, word for word. I have it in my film. So Michelle went over the top. She said, uh, "For the first time in my life, I'm proud of my country because Barack won a primary." And even though she'd said things much worse than that, that started to get people's attention, and they realized, "Whoa, we're going to we're going to start paying attention to what Michelle is saying." So that's when they went, the campaign, Obama campaign went to Michelle and said, listen, Barack could win the White House, but he could lose it because of you because people are going to hate you. So they told her to take a step back. And that's when she came out with a new marketing slogan. She said, I hate politics and I just want to be the mom in chief. So she took a step back and uh, she still was the co-president with Barack, but she pretended that she wasn't interested in politics and she's kept that up for 15 years. Uh, that she just doesn't like politics. So she can come back into politics in a few months from now saying, you know, I hate politics, but I love this nation and I love your children and I want to help out and I want to bring us all back together again. So I think that's where she'll be coming from.
0: You know, it's interesting you bring up uh, Michelle's decision to present herself as the mom-in-chief because a big part of that was her school lunch program, um, which led to a lot of hungry kids because the portions were so small and some of the stuff was stuff that kids didn't want to eat. Uh, could, a, could a Donald Trump or a Rob DeSantis or whoever possibly use that against her?
1: Uh, about the, uh, the school lunch program? Yes, sir. Well, that was kind of a kooky thing she did. She was looking for something to do, I guess, that was public, because everything she was doing behind the scenes. So she came up with this idea to help nutrition, Uh, She'd also helped with military families, you know, that kind of generic stuff. Uh, And, you know, people, a lot of people don't quite remember that too well, but, you know, she revamped uh, school lunches with healthy food, and the kids pretty much starved and didn't have enough calories, and that was a big failure. So no one remembers that too much. The uh, the biggest thing about Michelle that – people need to know is, is what a phony she is in terms of her life story, even more phony than Barack. And interestingly, she has the same problem Barack had. When Barack ran for president, white people thought he was black, and they, they liked that. Oh, we could have a black president. But black people didn't buy into it. They thought Barack wasn't black. He, he said he's got a, he's got a uh, you know, biracial family. He's from Hawaii. He went to Harvard he's not black, he's not black enough. So the black community did not buy into Barack at all for a long time. And Michelle kind of has the same problem. She has nothing in common with black people. She has no experiences with the black community growing up. She lived in fear of them. They would beat her up. And she got jobs exploiting the black community and making a ton of money doing it. So she, that's her biggest vulnerability is the minority vote because uh, she's someone who's never been a part of the black community. Barack said the reason he liked her when he met her is because she reminded him of his old grandmother from the Midwest, his old white grandmother. So wow, yeah. So Michelle, he even said her family was like Leave It to Beaver. You know, it's in the it's in the movie. I've got him on tape. Uh, but Michelle is pretending to be black, even though she pretty much is a white girl. That's her problem. And she's uh, recently, you might have seen all these bo- latest book tour. She uses African-American hairstyles like braids uh, that she never had in her entire life. Uh, I interviewed her hairdresser from age 18. Michelle had a celebrity hairdresser in Chicago named Michael Ronnie Flowers. And she always had these really fancy hairstyles, never had braids in her life. But on this new book tour where she's got braids, Michelle's been telling the story. She says, oh, I couldn't wear braids in the White House because... America couldn't handle it. They, the first black family in the White House, they wouldn't have been able to handle it. So she makes up these phony racial stories to make black people and minorities think she's one of them, which she's really not and never has been. Michelle also manipulated her wardrobe. She's pretty good at manipulating. And, um, Michelle hit, you know, from age 18, she was at all the fancy Miracle Mile uh, designers in Chicago, Ikram Goldman, Maria Pinto, she always wore very, very fashionable clothes when she was at Harvard, when she was, a, when she was a, a lawyer. And on in 2005, Michelle was on the international best dress list for Vanity Fair, top 25 worldwide best dressed. What did Michelle do in 2008? When she went on the campaign trail for Barack, she didn't show up wearing all her fancy designer clothes. She showed up looking like a homeless person. She wore a T-shirt. <laughs> Yeah, she wore a t shirt or an old sweater, and she didn't even comb her hair. She looked like straight out of something out of 1950s, you know, southern black housewife because she couldn't show up on the campaign trail and say, hey, I'm another elite Harvard lawyer like my husband. Yeah. She showed up pretending to be something she's not, and that's what she's doing to this day.
0: Well, here's my concern about that. I'm old enough to remember in 07, in the lead up to the uh, presidential race in, in 08. It was just a few weeks after Barack had announced he's running for president. And Hillary Clinton is in a big black church in Selma, Alabama, just a few weeks after Barack announced. Most of the people in the audience there don't even know who Barack is yet. And Hillary Is trying to sound like a southern black person going, "I've come too far to turn back now," and she just sounds awful, and it's so patronizing, and they're just lapping it up because it's Hillary. Now, if they would, if if the the people in a black church in Selma, Alabama, will allow Hillary to patronize them, um, Michelle Obama, who may have quote unquote acted white all her life, unlike Hillary, at least looks black um i think she will probably have a, a pretty good turnout with uh with democrat voters don't you
1: well uh her vulnerability believe it or not is black voters it's minority voters uh, i've got her on tape also that's why you gotta watch my movie by the way you can watch the uh michelle obama 2024 on salemnow.com okay now.com can live stream it or get the dvd book versions on amazon But in the movie version, I've got her on tape from 2008, Michelle speaks to black audiences with an urban accent. It's embarrassing. It's patronizing. She goes into this, uh, you know, these these funny urban slang to make the black audience think that she's one of them, even though she's not. So that is still her biggest vulnerability. Uh, She's done a good job, 15 years of publicity, all positive, hundreds of talk shows and magazine covers, Pretending to be something she's not, but that's still her biggest problem: is trying to convince people she's something she's not.
0: Wow. Well, I I uh, I wish her uh, the opposite of success. I wish her great failure in that attempt to uh, to convince people. Uh, Joel Gilbert, author of the new book "Michelle Obama Twenty Twenty Four: Her Real Life Story and Plan for Power." Director of the documentary, Michelle Obama 2024, which is available either streaming or the DVD at com, And don't forget about Dreams from My Real Father, which was just a blockbuster documentary and is also available at um, MyRealFather.com. Joel Gilbert, thank you so much for coming on the Doc Washburn Show today. We appreciate you. And as we say here in the South, y'all come see us. All right. Great to be here. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you so much. Godspeed. Wow. Now, how much of that did you know? How much of that is news to you? Again, one of the things I'm trying to do here is to bring you stuff you're not going to get anywhere else. And we continue doing that on a regular basis. And I'll tell you what, i got some stories coming up that, again, you're probably not going to hear anywhere else as the Doc Washburn show continues. Okay, look, if you tried to buy a car recently, you realize you may have a hard time finding what you're looking for. People I know have actually bought vehicles from hundreds of miles away from where they live. That's where Red River Auto comes in. Red River Auto is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to. You can buy online, and they'll drive it to you no matter where you are. Red River Auto wants to make your car buying experience as easy and transparent as possible. Red River Auto Group has perfected the online buying process. Just go to RedRiverAuto.com, pick from hundreds of new and used vehicles. You can purchase your vehicle online. If you have any questions, one of Red River's trained experts will help you through the whole process. Red River Auto makes car buying online easy. Your whole car buying process is completely transparent. If you want to buy a car truck, van, or SUV. Order online from the nationwide car dealer that believes in freedom, the dealer that will deliver your vehicle to your front door no matter where you live in the continental U.S. RedRiverAuto.com. You will be glad you did. Now I want to tell you about the best-kept secret in American healthcare. Are you having problems with sinuses and allergies? Are you experiencing dizziness, vertigo, problems with your blood sugar, fibromyalgia, eczema? psoriasis, migraines, the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center might be able to help you, even if you don't live in Arkansas. Let me tell you how. Your skull weighs anywhere from 8 to 15 pounds. It rests on the top bone of your spinal column, the atlas, which only weighs 2 ounces. So it's really easy for your atlas to get out of alignment. If it does, your whole spinal column can get kinked up like a chain. When that happens, your central nervous system isn't able to communicate with the rest of your body as it's designed to do. Now, I had severe hay fever for five or six weeks, every spring, all my life, and migraines year-round. When I got my atlas adjusted, the hay fever went away, and it's never come back. The migraines went away, too. Again, if you're suffering from sinus conditions, allergies, vertigo, problems with your blood sugar, fibromyalgia, eczema, psoriasis, even migraines, do yourself a favor. Call my friends at the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center, 501-279-2009 501-279-2009 for a free consultation. They've helped me, my wife, and so many people we know. Please call them to see if they can help you. That number again for your free consultation, 501-279-2009. If you're outside central Arkansas, just go to their website, turnmypoweron.com, click on the tab that says find a doctor near you, and I sure hope you can. Hey, did you hear AT&T recently lost billions On Wall Street, after their satellite outfit, DirecTV, decided to delete Newsmax. If you want to drop AT&T, or if you want to get out of your relationship with any of the big liberal cell phone carriers, I have the perfect solution for you. Patriot Mobile is America's only Christian conservative wireless carrier. Now more than ever, it's important to band together and support companies that share our conservative values. Now I know what you're thinking. Doc, I'd I'd love to, but I'm afraid it would be too complicated. It It would take too long. Look, don't worry about that. Switching to Patriot Mobile usually only takes 15 to 20 minutes. Patriot Mobile, by the way, donates a portion of every dollar earned to organizations that fight for causes you care about. Patriot Mobile has exceptional nationwide coverage and uses the same towers the main carriers use. And Patriot Mobile guarantees your coverage. Patriot Mobile has plans to fit any budget along with great discounts for our veteran and first responder heroes as well as multi-line users. Hey, I'm a multi-line user. My mom's on my plan, and boy, did we save money when we switched over to Patriot Mobile. Now, when you switch to Patriot Mobile, you're shifting your support from the leftist progressive agendas of Big Mobile to the Christian conservative causes of Patriot Mobile. When you become a Patriot Mobile member, your dollars are helping to fund our God-given right to freedom. A portion of every dollar they earn is given back to the causes that support organizations that fight for First Amendment religious freedom, freedom of speech, Second Amendment right to bear arms, sanctity of life, and the needs of our veterans and first responders. Switching is easy. Just do what I did. Go to PatriotMobile.com or call their U.S.-based customer service team at 972 patriot and make sure you use promo code doc that's d o c for free activation. All right, let's get right to some stories that you're not hearing any, anywhere else. Daily Caller has it John Kennedy. No, 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 not the not the assassinated president. US Senator, Louisiana, Republican, stumps witness on why government has to pay people to drive electric vehicles. Yes, indeed. And the witness this was during today's Senate Committee on the Budget Hearing. President and CEO of the Solar Energy Industries Association, Abigail Ross Hopper, is a witness. So let's see what happened here.
2: Ms. Um, um, can, I can't see your name. I can't see. It. Hopper. Ms. Hopper. Ms. Hopper, I, I love solar energy. I just want you to know that. And I love electric cars. But I've got to ask you this question. I've been waiting to ask this. Uh, if electric cars are so swell, how come government has to pay people to drive them
3: so I think is um, like most most government policies right are are put in place to incent certain behaviors and so that 's part of the policy is that if we want more yeah, electric yeah, but cars- if they 're so swell
2: why couldn 't they in just in a competitive market you know, people why wouldn 't they be choosing even- Electric cars over in, uh, internal combustion engine cars.
3: I think. Why, why do we have to pay people to drive them? But I, don't, I wouldn't characterize it as paying people to drive
4: them, but I would. Well, sure, we are. We're giving a big old tax it credit.
3: The government uh, having a policy to incent more uh, purchase of electric vehicles. Okay. Senator Stabenow.
2: Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Senator Kennedy.
3: She can't answer the question,
0: can she? Isn't that, isn't that crazy? I mean, just for the record, and again, this is from Daily Caller. Thank you. Hat tip to them for uh, for embedding the YouTube video in their article from Brianna Lyman. Just for the record, the Biden administration created a $7,500 consumer tax credit for a new stricter battery sourcing rule that stems from the Inflation Reduction Act, but only eight Electric vehicles and two plug-in hybrids qualify for the credit. Experts estimate the program will cost 136 billion dollars over the next 10 years. All right, Red State has the article from Sister Toldja. Cruz, Holly cut Democrats down to size on Supreme Court security funding threats in must-watch moments. I've been following Sister Told ya from Red State for many, many years out there in social media. If she says these are must-watch moments, then we must watch the moments. All right? So let's start off with Senator Josh Hawley, former Attorney General of Missouri, now Senator of Missouri, And his tweet says, now Democrats threaten to cut off security funding for Supreme Court unless the justices do what Democrats want. This is after an assassin tried to kill Justice Kavanaugh. Talk about threatening the rule of law. Here is the great Josh Hawley.
3: The threat is we will deny you security unless you do what we want. Say it again. We will deny you security unless you do what... We want. We had an assassin come to the home of Justice Kavanaugh and try to murder him. We have had credible threats on the lives of other justices, and now members of this body say we will deny you security for you, your families, your children, unless you do what we want. Extraordinary, extraordinary. Judge Mukasey, can I just ask you, longtime distinguished jurist, former Attorney General of this country? Do you think it's appropriate to threaten the security of of justices of the United States and their families in order to get them to comply with the wishes of this body? No. Have Have you heard of something like this being done before? I have not. I haven't either. And I have to say, at a time when we have had three different credible assassination attempts or threats against justices. We still have people illegally going to the justices' homes to attempt to influence their decisions in cases. No one has been prosecuted for those violations. We have constant threats and danger to their children. We had radicals tell, uh, post publicly the school location of one of the justices' children. And in that context... To say that we will deny them millions of dollars in security funding unless they do what this body wants, I think, is the height of irresponsibility.
0: I think it's worse than that myself. It's not just irresponsible. It's criminal. Next, Senator Ted Cruz blasts Democrats for threatening to cut off the funding for security at the Supreme Court. And it goes something like this.
2: The attack that my Democrat colleagues breathlessly repeat is that Clarence Thomas vacation home of a very close friend of his, a successful Texas businessman, flew on his plane and went on his yacht. Well, if that's the standard going and traveling and being paid for by others, then guess what? Just about every Supreme Court justice has done so and done so in much greater numbers. Justice Thomas was appointed in 1991. In the time since then, he's taken 109 reported trips, five international trips. Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg was appointed in 1993, two years later. In the time she was on the court, she took 157 trips, including 28 international trips. Mr. Payne, yes or no, do you think Ruth Bader Ginsburg was corrupt? No. Nor do I. Ruth Bader Ginsburg was not alone. Justice Stephen Breyer, appointed the year later in 1994, took 233 reported trips, including 63 international trips. Again, yes or no, Mr. Payne, do you think Stephen Breyer was corrupt? No. Nor do I. I would point out Justice Kagan has done the same thing. Justice Sotomayor has done the same thing. And yet none of my Democrat colleagues care because this is a political attack directed at a justice they hate. And by the way, let's spend a moment focusing on Justice Stephen Breyer, a delightful human being, someone I know personally, someone who served decades on the court. Justice Stephen Breyer repeatedly traveled on the penny of a prominent Democratic billionaire, the Pritzker family. Now, J.B. Pritzker is the Democrat governor of the state of Illinois, from which our chairman hails. I, I would be shocked if the chairman of this committee has not had multiple meals with the Pritzker family. Justice Breyer was a longtime member of the board that awarded the Pritzker Architecture Prize. Now, what did that mean? That meant Justice Breyer traveled on the dime of these Democrat billionaires. In 2019, Justice Breyer traveled to New York City, to Vancouver, and Paris. In 2018... Justice Breyer traveled to Ireland and Spain. In 2016, he traveled to New York, Spain, and France. In 2013, he traveled to Norway, Sweden, Denmark. In 2012, he traveled to Beijing and to London. All of this paid for by the Pritzker Foundation. Now, none of my Democrat colleagues are mad about this. And let me be clear, I'm not suggesting Justice Breyer is corrupt. What I'm suggesting is this committee is corrupt because this is a kangaroo circuit Circus, and I will note, we had 15 Senate Democrats, including six members of this committee, send a letter to the Appropriations Committee threatening to cut off the funding for security at the Supreme Court. The left is willing to threaten the lives of the justices. Justice Samuel Alito this weekend in the Wall Street Journal said that the attacks directed at the justices are making them targets of assassination. This is disgraceful. Every senator who signed this letter should be embarrassed. Mr. Chairman, I ask unanimous consent that this letter be admitted into the record and also that the, that the interview with Justice Alito from this week, weekend be entered into the record. Democrats can have disagreements based on law. But this attempt to delegitimize the court, this attempt to personally smear Clarence Thomas is dishonest. And everyone in the media echoing it is participating in a shameful reprise of 1991's high tech lynching.
0: Now, in case you're wondering what he's referring to there, 1991's high tech lynching for some of my younger listeners, that was when Clarence Thomas was going through his confirmation hearing, and Democrats were trying to set him up by getting a uh, former coworker. Anita Hill, to lie about him. And Clarence Thomas acquitted himself very well and called it a high-tech, high-tech lynching. And in case your memory is foggy, Delaware United States Senator Joseph Robinette Biden was the chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee that fomented the high-tech lynching. Just so you know, you you, you shouldn't forget that one. All right, but I got more. I've got more. John Daniel Davidson over the Federalist.com. Article entitled, Yes, the Trans Movement is Coming for Your Kids. Subtitle An attempt by Minnesota Democrats to tinker with a statute defining sexual orientation is part of a broader attempt to normalize pedophilia. Now, again, I don't know if you're hearing this anywhere else, but I feel like, like it's my duty to share it with you. He says, the trans movement's disturbing obsession with children, the all-ages drag shows, the pornographic books and school libraries, the push to allow the castration and sterilization of minors, isn't just an aggressive tactic to prove that transgender people are safe around kids or to groom kids into becoming trans. It's part of a broader strategy to normalize pedophilia. That strategy is becoming more explicit every day. Recently, a group of Democrat legislators in Minnesota, led by the state's first so-called transgender lawmaker, introduced a bill that would have removed language in Minnesota's Human Rights Act that explicitly says pedophilia is not a sexual orientation as defined by state statute. By removing that language, the bill would have opened the door to widening the definition of sexual orientation to include pedophilia as a protected class alongside other minorities. Now, I wonder if that's because... Democrats always say, including Joe Biden, that you should have the freedom to love whoever you want to. And they never clarify. They never make the exception. Well, of course, you know, they there, there should still be age of consent laws. Nope, they never say that, do they? But I digress. Now ultimately the effort failed, and the Democrat controlled state house was persuaded by a Republican lawmaker to amend the so-called Take Pride Act, to clarify that pedophilia is not a protected class under the chapter, but the push by trans activists to change this language is instructive because it tells you exactly what the movement is all about and where it's headed. The state's Human Rights Act, which prohibits discrimination based on sexual orientation, already defines the term so broadly as to be largely meaningless. According to Minnesota law, Sexual orientation is, quoting now, having or being perceived as having an emotional, physical, or sexual attachment to another person without regard to the sex of that person or having or being perceived as having an orientation for such attachment or having or being perceived as having a self-image or identity not traditionally associated with one's biological maleness or femaleness, unquote. Okay, everybody get that? In Minnesota, according to state statute, sexual orientation can mean almost anything. Perhaps because of this capacious definition, the law included this caveat, quote, sexual orientation does not include a physical or sexual attachment to children by an adult, unquote. That's the language these Democrat lawmakers wanted to remove. The Take Pride Act was introduced earlier this year by state representative Lee Fink, a man who began presenting as a woman in 2017. See, I can say that here, right? They can't say that on Fox News. They can't even say it on Newsmax. Oh, no, 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 no. If you're a guy who presents as a female, they'll call you she all day long on Fox News and Newsmax. I think Tucker was the only one who wouldn't on Fox News. Gee, what happened to him? Don't worry. He's going to, he's going to wind up. Just fine. Anyway, but I digress. This guy who says uh, he's a woman, Representative Lee Fink in the Minnesota House, since taking office earlier this year, has focused on making Minnesota a sanctuary state for the transing of children. Specifically, he's pushed legislation that ensures that minors from across the country can get experimental and irreversible surgeries in Minnesota. This gets kind of rough. You don't want the kids listening listen to this part. Like vaginoplasty, in which the penis is removed and a neovagina is constructed from colon tissue, or phalloplasty, in which a non-functioning so-called penis is made by carving flesh from the forearm of the girl. These things have been Fink's priority, along with removing, clarifying language that excludes pedophilia from the state's impossibly vague definition of sexual orientation and adding a separate definition of gender identity to the Human Rights Act that can only be described as Gnostic. Here's what it says, quote, gender identity means a person's inherent sense of being a man, woman, both or neither. A person's gender identity may or may not correspond to their assigned sex at birth or to their primary or secondary sex characteristics. A person's gender identity is not necessarily visible to others, unquote. So, when he was asked why he wanted to remove language that specifically excludes pedophilia as a sexual orientation, Fink tried to dodge the question. He told Fox News only that the language in question incorrectly ties pedophilia to a person's sexual orientation and that nothing in his bill changes or weakens any crimes against children or the state's ability to prosecute those who break the law. In a statement, GOP house minority leader, Lisa DeMuth said the attempt to strike the language about pedophilia was disturbing and inexplicable. Oh, it's disturbing. All right, but I don't think it's inexplicable. I think we can explain why this guy's trying to do that. But I digress. While it's certainly disturbing, it's not... Well, uh, I'm reading John Daniel Davidson's mind here. He says, while it's certainly disturbing, it's not inexplicable. It's the predictable consequence of the moral relativism that has come to define our age. What the theologian David Bentley Hart has aptly called the absolute liberty of personal volition, whereby individual desire and freedom of choice are the highest good, untethered to any objective notion of the good, much less God. The transgender movement is animated by precisely this ideology, which enshrines personal volition and autonomy as the highest good, indeed as the only good. So this guy Lee Fink and Minnesota Democrats disingenuously claimed they were just trying to clean up the language of the state's Human Rights Act, which they claimed inappropriately tied pedophilia to sexual orientation Setting aside that astounding bit of goalpost shifting, the unavoidable truth is that their efforts fit with a broader pattern on the left of sexualizing children and normalizing pedophilia as merely expressions of personal volition. Children, so the thinking goes, have a right to express their gender identity and teachers, for example, have a duty to help them even if it means deceiving parents. And everyone, they claim, has a right to embrace without apology their unchosen sexual orientation even if our societal norms haven't yet evolved enough to recognize the legitimacy of adult child sexual attraction in the long ago time of 2019 stella morabito explained in the federalist.com the push to normalize pedophilia and sexualize childhood she wrote we cannot dismiss the campaign to legalize pedophilia as fringy stuff that will get nowhere. It's real, and it's here, and it's gaining strength. It's a very logical outgrowth of the nihilism inherent in the sexual revolution. Now, that sounded like a stretch four years ago. It's a straightforward statement of fact today. Morabito simply had the good sense to see what had been happening for years and take the sexual revolutionaries at their word. Much of it began as such things often do in academia, with the substitution of the phrase minor attracted person for pedophile, a construction that began appearing in academic books and peer-reviewed papers as a way to destigmatize pedophilia and present it as an unchosen sexual orientation. This effort has been underway for some time now, as far back as 2013. The American Psychiatric Association briefly reclassified pedophilia as a sexual orientation in its fifth edition of the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, or DSM-5. Amid an understandable outcry, the American Psychiatric Association claimed it was an error and hastily issued a correction, changing the term sexual orientation to sexual interest. Nevertheless, the DSM-5 still makes a distinction between pedophilia as a paraphilia, a desire not acted upon, versus pedophilia as a pedophilic disorder, which ordinarily people would call child molestation or sexual assault. Then came the brave TED Talks arguing that pedophilia should be treated as an unchosen sexual orientation, along with articles and outlets like Salon, Vice, and New York Magazine that attempted to mainstream the idea of the virtuous pedophile. that There's nothing wrong with being sexually attracted to children as long as one doesn't act on it. Meanwhile, the academic papers kept rolling in, arguing in ever more explicit terms that there are no legitimate ethical or moral objections to adult child sex. Before long, drag kids broke into the mainstream with a TV show on Discovery Plus called Generation Drag and regular appearance of fawning articles in outlets like NBC News about drag kids slaying the runway one fierce look at a time. Good Morning America featured child drag queens dancing suggestively for audiences of grinning dupes, smug in their belief, The tolerating and affirming the blatant sexualization of children marked them out as enlightened and humane. These would be the same people who would appear at drag brunches all over the country in the years to come, kids in tow, nodding and clapping along to the sexually explicit dance routines of adult men in drag. Now, I want to call out somebody here. Because I saw a clip. I don't watch Good Morning America on ABC, but I saw a clip... uh, back when it happened on YouTube, of this little kid, like 11 years old, Desmond is Amazing, this little boy that his mama had dressed him up in drag, I think since he was two or three years old, dancing a Good Morning America. And former football player, Michael Strahan, uh, clapping like a trained seal. Oh, this is fantastic. This is wonderful. I wonder if he got any talk off the air from his co-hosts on the NFL show that he does. I don't know if Michael Strahan grew up in church or not, but he had to know that it was wrong. But I guess some people do anything for money, and I am sure he is well paid. But I digress. Back to the article. They are often the same people who riotously descended on state capitals in Texas, Montana, and Tennessee in recent weeks to protest bills that would ban the castration and mutilation of minors in the name of so-called gender-affirming care, these people have shown themselves willing to mob up and disrupt legislative proceedings in the name of transing youth, even willing in some cases to tussle with police and get arrested. They seem to believe what they say they believe. Maybe we should take them at their word. And if we take them at their word, then we should also take their philosophy and its imperatives seriously. Simply put, the logic of the trans movement leads inexorably to a justification of pedophilia. If a minor can so completely know his gender identity that he's able to consent to major irreversible surgeries and treatments, castration and genital mutilation and sterilization, then the horizon of what he can consent to opens up considerably. Indeed, it has no limits. If he chooses to have sex with an adult, who are we to say that's wrong, to deny him the ability to live as his most authentic self? That's where all this is going. And that's what was behind the push to remove the pedophile language from the Minnesota statute. To deny it at this late hour is to indulge in willful self-delusion. The situation is actually as bad as it seems, and the ascendant trans movement really is coming for our children. Once we accept that reality, we can begin to think clearly about what we should do about it. Now that remarkable article is by the great John Daniel Davidson over the Federalist dot com It dropped may third twenty twenty three and it's entitled "Yes, the Trans Movement is coming for." Your kids. Now, look, you probably know by now the world is going crazy with supply chain issues, record-setting inflation, and sky-high gas prices. Woke corporations stand against everything we believe in. The big box stores were allowed to stay open all during the pandemic, while so many little guys, small business owners, regular people were forced to close. The wealthiest people on earth became better off, while mom-and-pop businesses suffered. What can we do about all this? How can our voices be heard? Well, we can make a difference by voting with our dollars. Why continue shopping at big box stores if you can get the items you need from a family-owned company? Buy only USA. These products include fresh American-raised beef, raised in the Montana mountains near Yellowstone. This beef is known as never, ever. Never has the animal ever been exposed to antibiotics, hormones, or vaccines. This prime or high-choice beef is shipped directly to your door. Pricing and availability is exclusive only to our members and isn't shipped anywhere else in the world. Now, finally, we can shop factory direct at a family-owned, made-in-America manufacturer. Americans are walking away from the big-box conglomerates. Buy only USA. One of the best ways to get around this crazy inflation is to shop with family-owned companies that put their customers first rather than shareholders and corporate executives. A lot of patriot influencers have come on board. I'm inviting you to join with fellow patriots to cut off the cash flow of the big woke corporations that are trying to destroy our country. We're done with the woke globalist operation against humanity. Each of us can take market share away from these businesses that have enjoyed unfair advantages. We can choose to help each other by shopping family-owned, made in America. Join with over 2 million monthly shoppers that have already made the switch. Let's start voting with our dollars to make sure our purchases are supporting companies that promote freedom. This company is dedicated to offering family-owned alternatives for items we buy on a regular basis. Email us, buyonlyusa at proton.me. And I'll have one of my guys contact you. Buyonlyusa at proton.me. Now, our friend Mike Lindell has a passion to help everybody get the best sleep of your life, and he's done it again. Introducing MyPillow 2.0. MyPillow 2.0 has a brand new temperature-regulating technology that keeps you comfortable throughout the night. MyPillow 2.0's new fabric dissipates heat and humidity to create a cooling sensation to maintain a cooler surface temperature. This new fabric technology helps regulate your body temperature throughout the night by creating a lower surface temperature for a more restful night's sleep. You know your core body temperature plays a big role in how well you sleep. MyPillow 2.0 was developed to provide a cool surface. It's engineered for comfort. MyPillow 2.0 is available in four loft levels, machine washable and dryable, and there's a 10-year warranty 60 day money back guarantee as a special introductory offer for my listeners when you buy your new my pillow 2.0 you get a second one free just by using promo code dWS now Mike also created the best bed sheets ever they look great they feel great which means an even better night' sleep for me which is crucial for my busy schedule my wife and I just love sleeping on our giza dream sheets right now buy a set of giza dream sheets for just 29.98 by using promo code DWS. DWS. My pillow also has blankets in a variety of sizes, colors, and styles, like plush, waffle, or gossamer. Get huge discounts on blankets, duvets, quilts, and down comforters just by using that promo code DWS. I'm wearing my new My Slippers moccasins. I had no idea slippers could feel this good. Right now, say big on My Slippers, slip-ons, and moccasins. Close out sale price at just $25 by using promo code DWS. WS. Not only that, Mike is having the biggest closeout sale ever on his sandals for just 19.98. What makes my slippers different is Mike's exclusive four-layer design that you're not going to find in any other slippers. My slippers patented layers make them ultra comfortable, extremely durable, and they help reduce stress on your feet. Wear them anytime, anywhere. Just use promo code DWS for huge discounts. Now remember, That does not stand for washed-up Democrat politician Debbie Wasserman Schultz. No, 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 no. D-W-S stands for Doc Washburn Show. MyPillow.com. Quantities are extremely limited at these amazing prices, so please order now. Just use promo code D-W-S. Now, the great Ronald Reagan once said, Inflation is as violent as a mugger, as frightening as an armed robber, and as deadly as a hitman. So, have you thought about the benefits of investing in precious metals? Here are five profound benefits. Number one, investing in precious metals is a hedge against inflation. Number two, it's a great way to diversify your portfolio. Number three, asset liquidity. Number four, precious metals tend to be a store of value. That means precious metals are an asset, commodity, or, or currency that maintain their value without depreciating over the long haul. And last but not least, number five, precious metals can be a hedge against geopolitical uncertainty and the struggling U.S. dollar. So we're honored to join forces with Beverly Hills Precious Metals and its owner, Andrew Sorcini. Andrew has been involved in gold and silver for over 40 years. Andrew Sorcini and his team at Beverly Hills Precious Metals know the gold and silver business inside and out. After many years in the markets and collecting precious metals privately, Andrew opened Beverly Hills Precious Metals in 2010 to bring precious metals to the homes of everyday American citizens. We found out about Andrew Sorcini and Beverly Hills Precious Metals from our buddy, General Mike Flynn, and we're so glad we did. Andrew's a frequent guest on conservative podcasts. Beverly Hills Precious Metals is our gold buyer of choice. And to learn more about Andrew and his team, all you have to do is go to bh-pm.com. The BH stands for Beverly Hills. The PM stands for Precious Metals. bh-pm.com. Now, if you're like me and you can't remember website addresses, just Google Beverly Hills Precious Metals. No matter what search engine you use, it's the first thing that comes up. Make sure you ask about the General Mike Flynn silver coin and let them know Doc Washburn sent you. We're honored to be able to tell you about Beverly Hills Precious Metals in an effort to help you in your attempts to protect your family's finances, wealth, and investments. bh-pm.com or Google Beverly Hills Precious Metals and tell them Doc Washburn sent you. All right, it's that time. Hit it, Brian. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. It's the Doc Washburn Show Tweet of the Day. And it's brought to you by Red River Auto. Red River Auto is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy the car, truck, van, or SUV of your choice the way you want to online. Have it delivered to your front door anywhere in the continental USA. All right, today's Tweet of the Day is from the Columbia Bugle, and he has a clip from Tucker Carlson from before when he got fired by Fox News as he calls out Joe Biden's anti-white so-called equity initiative. And I tell you what, if you liked Tucker on Fox News, just wait until you hear what he has planned. I'm sure it's going to be bigger and better than anything he's ever done
4: before. Here is the great Tucker Carlson. Joe Biden institutes a government-wide system of racial discrimination that dwarfs Jim Crow, and nobody seems to notice. That happened yesterday, by the way. Did you know that? Probably not, because there was no press conference or signing ceremony, no media coverage. But 24 hours ago, it happened. Biden restructured the entire executive branch of the U.S. government to discriminate on the basis of immutable characteristics. He made that announcement on the White House website, and it proclaims, That within 30 days, every federal agency, all of them, from the Department of Justice to NASA to the Social Security Administration, all of them, all must, quote, ensure that they have a equity agency, equity team within their respective agencies to coordinate the implementation of equity initiatives. And these Maoist equity teams will report to something called the Gender Policy Council and the White House, quote, environmental justice officer, Does the environmental justice officer carry a sidearm? We don't know, actually. We do know that running all of this, which is the largest racial tracking bureaucracy since the fall of Nazi Germany, will be former President Barack Obama. And he'll be doing that, as always, through his longtime lackey and cutout Susan Rice. Rice's goal, the goal of the entire initiative, is to place the federal government, all of it, in opposition to a very specific slice of the American population. Not a foreign population, our own population. Here's how it works. Every single person in the United States will qualify for one of Joe Biden's many protected categories, except straight white men. So we're all in this together, except those guys who are on the outs. It's all of us versus them. Straight white men, they will not be protected because they are, by virtue of being straight and white and male, the cause of the problem. They're the enemy. So this is a big change. It's got enormous consequences. Among other things, it makes you wonder, why would straight white men continue to pay their taxes? And by the way, what percentage of taxes in the United States are paid by straight white men? That's one statistic you never hear. Why is that? But if you're one of them, you may wonder, wait, I'm working half the year for the government, which takes my money and then uses it to demonize me and disenfranchise me from a government I thought I was an equal owner of. I thought we were all in this together. We're all citizens. But I still have to pay half my income to people who hate me? Why would I do that? It seems masochistic. Well, you do that because you have no choice. The IRS has more guns than you do. It's that simple. Meanwhile, don't expect a government contract or an SBA loan or even decent service from the clerk of the DMV. You're a domestic enemy now. You're an English-speaking version of Vladimir Putin. The equity agenda is your personal sanctions regime. Wow. Okay, that is part
0: one of today's tweet of the day brought to you by Red River Auto. Part two is from American America First Legal, which says, Remember when Tucker Carlson called out Biden's racist so-called equity initiative? America First Legal is taking action. We're investigating the Biden administration's illegal plans for the IRS to implement race-based tax auditing. And for HHS to implement race-based organ distribution. And what they're saying is, America First Legal is investigating Biden's Health and Human Services Department to obtain records related to the department's apparent intention to distribute organs based on skin color rather than medical need. So-called equity is racism. Let's unpack this disturbing plan. Pursuant to Biden's equity executive order that infuses racial grievance politics into every aspect of the government, HHS is unlawfully injecting race and national origin into the Health Resources and Service Administration's organ procurement and transplantation network. And it goes on and on and on. But you know, The Democrat Party was always the party of race. It always was. Going all the way back to the Civil War and slavery. And it still is. Joe Biden very proudly talked about how well he got along with the segregationist Democrat senators back in the 70s. And he's still the same guy. Thank you to Mitch Ward and the crew at Red River Auto for sponsoring today's tweet of the day. You've been listening to episode 379 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. The views and opinions expressed on the Doc Washburn Show do not necessarily reflect those of our advertisers, but they love us and we love them. If you have any questions for us, email us, contact at docwashburnshow.com. Today's program has been produced by Tim Terrible, directed by Mick Messi. This has been a Terribly Messy production. Portions of today's show will be taken overseas and dropped if you'd like a transcript of today's episode of the All New Doc Washman Show, simply peel the roof off a Rolls-Royce panel truck and send it to Mansour's Computer Solutions, seventh floor of the Ephemeral B. Smoot Building, Whitehall, Arkansas, in care of Sheriff Mansour Sempier the Tenth, Senior Vice President, Engineering, IT, and Interoperability for the Doc Washman Show. And that's the way it is. Thursday, May 4th, 2023.